Please open God's Word with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Uh, As Pastor Jeff mentioned last week, uh, Jesus uh, uses a repeated phrase in the book of John when He said, my hour has not yet come. And as we saw last week, and as we'll see again this morning, Jesus says, my hour has come. Chapter 12 began Passion Week in the book of John. From Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday to His resurrection, all the events from chapters 12 through 20 are within the same seven days. Chapters 13 through 17 likely all occur just on Thursday night in the upper room when Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper. But before they could eat, Jesus had something to teach them that has impacted the church from that night for the rest of all the ages. Jesus showed them servant love. We will learn this, in this passage that Jesus loves His bride with servant love, and so we must imitate Him that Jesus loves His bride with servant love, and we must imitate Him. We're going to learn three things about servant love this morning. It is supernatural, it is selfless, and it is submissive. Now, please follow as I read chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. This is the inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand." Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray once more. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have all experienced some awkward moments. Maybe you see a person that you've talked to many, many times, and their name just completely vanishes from your mind. And it's way too late in the relationship to ask them to spell it, B-O-B. Or when you have your older child, keep your place in line because you just have to go get one more thing. And by the time you get back there, all of your stuff has been rung up and the cashier is looking at you and the people in line are looking at you and your child is looking at you. How could you have done this to me? Or when someone always talks about the same subject and even after being politely asked to talk about something else because you can't relate to what they're talking about, they continue. Or what about walking through a doorway only to catch your clothes on the doorknob and get slingshotted back? I meant to do that. Yes, we've all had a variety of awkward moments. Maybe you take a sip of water in the restaurant and have this coughing fit because you swallowed it wrong and you're just coughing your brains out during COVID of all times that people are looking at you very, very awkward. Well, we need to appreciate how awkward this situation was for the disciples. Jesus was always doing things in an unconventional way to get their attention and to help them to remember. But in this case, he wanted to impress upon their minds the eternal importance of servant love. We learn first of all that servant love is supernatural. Again, verse 1 said, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We see here explicitly that this was the Passover meal they were about to eat and that Jesus was about to transform it into the Lord's Supper. Now, John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, allows us to peer into Jesus' mind. I mean, what was Jesus thinking about at this particular moment? The fact that he knew that he was about to be betrayed, that he knew he would suffer incomprehensible torture. He knew he would be rejected in a criminal's death on a Roman cross. He knew he would rise again, and he knew 40 days later he would ascend back to his father. Someone's last words before they die are very, very important, right? Reality has set in, and whatever they're going to say to you in those moments are really important for you to remember. And so, this whole farewell discourse in the upper room is one that needs to be viewed in that light. 
Jesus wanted us to know most of all that his supernatural love was for his bride. It says here, Jesus loved his own who were in the world. Now, this is not a general benevolence towards all of mankind, right? This is a particular love that he has for his chosen people, his particular bride, the church. Pastor Jeff read earlier from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul was very clear that this glorious love between husband and wife is mysterious. And he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When we get to chapter 17, we will listen to Jesus' high priestly prayer, and we will hear the cry of an engaged groom who wants his bride to be with him forever. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, in our eternal home. He's looking forward to that day when he comes back and brings us to be with him. And so this covenantal, intimate love that Christ has for his church is the kind of love that we are seeing as Jesus comes and washes the feet of his bride. But as Jesus warned us, the weeds exist among the wheat. The visible church does not perfectly represent the invisible church, the chosen people of God. Judas was the most trusted disciple. I mean, he was the treasurer. Jesus washed the feet of the man that was about to send him to unimaginable torture. In this, he shows us by only his divine power, his supernatural love, secondly, for frenemies. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And so that term frenemy was coined back in 1953 by an American columnist who was referencing the Russians, right? We fought with our comrades to defeat Hitler, and then we began, right, the Cold War with the USSR over decades. Now, perhaps you've experienced the awkwardness of frenemies too. Maybe you've had coworkers who subversively tried to, you know, guarantee they got the promotion by stabbing you in the back. Well, you had to work together with these friends while they were doing that to you and trying to figure out how does this relationship really work. And well, we see here Judas was a tool of Satan. We are given some glimpses throughout the gospel of Judas's greed, knowing that he would take from the purse for himself, of his jealousy and his faked moral outrage when all of the nard was poured on Jesus' feet. Though Jesus knew this frenemy, Judas, was about to betray him, Jesus loved him with a supernatural love, a servant love. And the amazing thing, the way John writes this gospel, when you look at verses 2 and 3, it's the very same sentence, right? John emphasizes the supernatural nature of servant love because the only love that can love our enemies is thirdly, a love that is from God, right? It's a love for his bride, a love for his frenemies, a love that comes from 
God. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus understood that his identity was not rooted in what people thought of him. As the greatest evangelist ever, people still rejected him. Even his own follower that was with him for three years, Judas. As the only perfect person to ever live, he was still unjustly arrested and crucified. I want you to see the beautiful parallels in Scripture, one of them being the Father's love for the Son when he is facing his most difficult tasks. And so, right before Jesus faced the devil the first time, right, right before he went into the wilderness, we hear the voice call out from heaven in Matthew chapter 3, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so in a similar way, right here, just before Jesus faces the worst that the devil has in his scheming, he is reassured about his identity. He had come from God. And he was returning to God. As horrific as his sacrifice would be, it would end. And he would rise again in victory and ascend back to his Father. In the supernatural strength of his Father's love, and in the promises that he possessed all authority in all things, from that place of strength, he became the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53 for your sins and for mine. Do you believe that you are a beloved child of God? Well, if you have indeed turned away from your sins and put all of your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to reconcile you to God, you have to also know that He adopts you as His own child. You see, by faith we are united to Christ, and in that union we become adopted children of God. And so we get to receive the exact same encouragement that Jesus received. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased, God says. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, actually delights in you? We have to be reminded of that repeatedly. We are not loved because we're valuable. We are valuable because we are loved. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, the whole reason Jesus came was to rescue his bride, whom he loves and whom he washes from all our sin. 
But remember God's infinitely generous promise that comes to us in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Once again, do you see the parallel connection back to what Jesus was experiencing in that moment? These glorious parallels of our union with Christ. Though we in this world face enemies and frenemies, our identity is rooted in Christ, and so we can face whoever God places against us. We have been created by God, born by Christ, born of Christ, and in eternity He will place in our hands all things. That's a position of strength so that we don't have to feel the need to be selfish because we already possess it all. Unfortunately, our nature is to be selfish. But Jesus shows us that servant love is not only supernatural, it is also selfless. Verse 4 says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Remember when I said this is an awkward moment for the disciples? Yeah, that's this part. Now, when you think about the context, it's really important to understand what's going on here for us to really appreciate how awkward it really was. You see, um, Jesus and his disciples are about to enjoy this meal, this Passover meal, in a borrowed room. And that's very important because there's no host, right, to perform the normal hospitality that would exist in someone's home. And so one of the regular services was washing the feet of everyone because they, what do they do? They walk around all the time in sandals on dusty streets shared by animals. You get the picture. Now, I am someone who likes to have clean feet before I put them under my bed covers. And when I was on a surf trip to Panama, we were walking in sandals on dusty roads all the time. And so uh, I always clean my feet before putting them into the sleeping bag. But uh, even if I had just taken a shower, like just getting from wherever that was to where we were sleeping, still, you know, they could get dirty. So, you know, I imagine laying on the mat there with Jesus for a nice meal that we're about to have, and I just, I really don't want to be smelling my neighbor's donkey droppings on my feet or anybody else's feet, right? It's just not that pleasant uh, of an experience. And so, Jesus shows us, first of all, that servant love humbly kneels. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I racked my brain trying to come up with some type of modern-day parallel to help us just try to get what they were feeling in that particular moment because, right, most of us clean our own feet. It's not a normal thing we do when we go to each other's houses, so how is this going to work? Well, here it goes. Don't get your hopes up. We like having people over for dinner, and when we do, we, like, perhaps like you, scurry about trying to clean up everything, you know, because people tripping over your shoes or seeing dirty toilets, it just doesn't feel quite as welcoming. And so, I want you to imagine it's your house, and you're going to have somebody over for dinner. Let's say it's your boss or some other dignitary that is coming for dinner. Um, how would you feel if your boss goes into the bathroom and then comes out and says, do you have any cleaning products? 
Curious, and rather embarrassed, you say, yes. <clears throat> he unbuttons his shirt. <laughs> yes, very, very awkward. He hangs the shirt over the towel bar, sprays in toilet bowl cleaner, begins brushing the bowl. Now, he doesn't just do a few swishes. I mean, he really scrubs that thing. He then takes a rag and gets into all the crevices, being a home of all boys, and he really scrubs and gets that toilet looking brand new. Ashamed and possibly even a bit insulted, you sheepishly thank him. But he then goes on to the next bathroom, and you're thinking, oh, he is not going into our master bathroom. Why? Is it dirty? Yes. Well, then it needs cleansing. You see, Jesus came to wash away the dirt of our sin, but that's not the only thing he did. He also came to clothe us in his perfect life so that he covers our shame. It's not just guilt. It's also the shame that comes with it. We have real needs that are far beyond dirty feet or toilets. And so Jesus' selfless servant love, secondly, helps real needs. First, it humbly kneels, and second, helps real needs. And those are spiritual and physical, right? One of the most important needs the disciples had was to show them their own hearts, right? Jesus, therefore, shows them their spiritual needs, now, in the first century Judaism, right, fish washing was very rarely ever done by Jewish men, right? It was left to the lowest servant, a woman, a child, most likely a Gentile. And so because they borrowed the room, they had to provide their own servant to wash feet. And this means one of them would have to identify as the lowest servant, and nobody volunteered. The Gospel of Luke reveals what the disciples were actually thinking about. They were concerned with who was going to be the greatest, not who was going to be the lowest. At exactly the same time, Luke says in Luke 22, a dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They were probably thinking Jesus was about to restore the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of of David, the kingdom of their rule over all the earth, and they wanted to be sitting right next to him, right on top. The disciples needed to admit their lack of humility and their lack of love in their unwillingness to wash one another's feet. And we also need to admit that same issue in our own lives. We have a natural inner desire to be served rather than to serve. But Jesus took on the identity of the lowest servant to their horror and embarrassment. The disciples had a very real spiritual need for a Savior who would wash away that selfishness and to cover their shame. But we can't forget that their feet were actually dirty. They also had physical needs. Peter says in <clears throat> chapter, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. (laughs) You got to love Peter. Always sticking his dirty foot in his mouth. He goes from one extreme to the other just to impress Jesus that he had the right answer. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus said, dirty feet need cleaning. But he also points out that this is transforming into a metaphor of spiritual cleaning of their entire persons. Now, some people have taken these verses as sacramental, right? We only affirm two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, you may have seen foot washings as a symbol at some weddings, right? Sometimes the groom will wash the feet of his bride in commemoration of Jesus washing the feet of his bride, right? Saying that's what they're planning to do as a symbol, personal preference, not a mandate for wedding ceremonies, right? But wonderful image. Now, we are commanded specifically here to look for ways that we can imitate Jesus in selfless servant love to the needs that sinners have, both physical and spiritual. That is the point. And Jesus continues to serve his church even today through us. And that's where we learn lastly that he serves his church through submissive love. First of all, supernatural love. Second, selfless. And third, submissive. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. All authority in heaven and on earth had been given to Jesus. He knew that he had come from God and that he was going to, back to the Father. And so with all of that authority, he humbly commands his followers to demonstrate supernatural, selfless, submissive love as a servant love by actually doing it. This is the Christian's role. It's what we're supposed to do in any and all circumstances in our lives is to assume the position of the lowest servant to serve one another's real needs. And so Jesus calls us, first of all, to respond by imitation. Verse 15 says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus targeted the disciples' hearts. He knew what was in their minds. He knew they were focused on being the greatest disciple. He wanted them to see greatness only comes by faith because only God is great and only God can give it. Greatness does not come by seeking a name for yourself. Now, here's the weird thing. Like, 
2,000 years later, we know this commandment, right? We've heard this story before. We know what it's about. And so what do our twisted minds do? Now we want to be known as the lowest servant. How does that work? We're still seeking glory for ourselves, right? And so it's amazing how much we need him to work in our hearts to not seek glory for our name, but to seek it for his name, not, knowing what our left hand, not telling our left hand what our right hand is doing. Jesus wants us to lastly recognize imposters. Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Now, when I say recognize imposters, what I'm not saying is, Right? We should not be just going around and searching out in the church who are the imposters and let's get rid of them, right? Jesus said, no, don't try to pull up the weeds because you're going to pull up the wheat at the same time that you're trying to weed out the weeds. It's not your job, God's job. The only thing we can do is look for the imposter right here in our own hearts. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it for self or am I doing it for Jesus? Now, one of the ways that we can tell how we're treating those whom God has sent. Jesus said in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so how we treat those whom God has sent shows us what our priorities are. Now, this is not just referring to pastors and missionaries. This is referring to every believer because all of us are sent on the mission to make disciples of all nations. And so how we treat one another, how we love one another and serve one another or stab each other in the back, whatever it is, that's what we're showing is our priority. It's either self or it's Jesus. And so we have to stop looking to other people for the answers and recognize our sinful hearts are only ever going to find satisfaction in the fact that our Savior delights to serve us. And he does so even still through imperfect sinners like us as we care for the needs of one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that as we come to your table, it is such a powerful reminder of the time you were at the table with your disciples and that you are still serving the needs of your people. You know that we are weak. You know that we need tangible signs reminding our bodies at the same time that we remind our souls of who you are, and that by faith, you nourish our souls with real grace, real faith, real love to make us more like yourself. And we pray that you would prepare our hearts as we come to this table so that you are the one who gets all of the glory. We pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.